Let's go back to that Isaiah passage once again to hear of that. It's been a privilege hearing you practice. It was uh, even more inspiring to hear you sing this morning. So, beautiful job. Isaiah chapter 9. Be reading again the first seven verses. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shown. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian for every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Consular, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As far as the reading of God's word, let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord. Will you work through your spirit to open our ears, not only, but also our hearts, that we will understand your word is read and preached by our pastor. Give Bob what is needed to, lead, to deliver these truths. This we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. We've been seeking over the course of the last several Lord's Days to begin to to begin to unpack Isaiah chapter 9 there is incredible mystery involved in this selection there is amazing comfort great hope to be found in this beautiful prophecy that Isaiah has given to us through the spirit of the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We've looked at the names that are recorded there in the sixth verse. We've talked about the place from which he will indeed come. We've talked about the government, the rule, this kingdom that he will establish, the peace that he will give. This morning we want to deal with, as Isaiah gives to us through the Spirit, this message of joy. That comes to those people to whom Isaiah is writing. To the people of Jesus' day and certainly to us then as well. 
We want to look at that under three points this morning. First of all, the joy defined, what is Isaiah speaking of here. Secondly, the joy in the midst of the darkness. And then thirdly, the four reasons that Isaiah gives to us for our joy. First of all, the joy defined. Now, some of this is just grammatical stuff, but I think it's kind of important, especially in our own minds, that we understand that which is happening here. If we look at the verses that uh, highlight this, it's verse 3. Isaiah writes, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The word joy, as it occurs here in this third verse, is the noun. The word rejoice is the verb. So if you understand that in terms of that which is happening, that which is taking place, joy is a thing. Rejoicing is the action. This passage is about joy. It is about that which is given. It is not about that which we do. That's the rejoicing part. We rejoice because of the joy. The joy is the cause, is the reason why we rejoice. We don't say to somebody, joy. Okay? You, you, you don't joy. You rejoice. Joy is that which is given to us, that which is granted. Isaiah is saying there is coming a time when joy is going to be given. It comes from somewhere else and it is given to us. And when it is given to us, our response is going to be one of rejoicing. What exactly does this word joy mean? Well, it means gladness. It means, uh, to use an old English word, mirth. As you sing some of the carols of Christmas, that's one of those words that comes up. You may say, what's this mirth thing? It's joy. It's gladness. It is exuberance that is given. Not displayed, that's the rejoicing. But it's an exuberance that is placed within the human heart. It is optimistic hopefulness. It is assurance. It is peace. All packaged up, rolled into one, that we would use the term joy. So Isaiah speaks, you have increased its joy. You have increased its gladness, its mirth. You have increased its assurance, its hope, its peace. You have increased its optimism. He then provides two examples in that third verse of this joy. This joy 
is that which causes then for people to rejoice. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They now rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. So here's the example. The people of Israel coming to one of the feasts that God commanded them to come to. They're traveling to Jerusalem. They're coming to the temple. There they will be in the presence of God. And there they are going to rejoice because of the joy that God has given to them because of the harvest that has been brought in. Because of the blessings that they have experienced. God gives them the joy. They now respond with rejoicing like they are at a celebration in the presence of God. Rejoicing in response to the joy that God has brought to them. The second example that he uses is they are glad, gladness, when they divide the spoil. It's the picture of victory. So he's saying, imagine the people of Israel celebrating in Jerusalem at the temple, one of the feasts, the joy, the exuberance that is being shown, that is being displayed, that isn't coming from them. It's their response to what God has done for them. Or he says, picture this. Picture Israel having defeated one of its arch rivals. And the joy of the, the rejoicing at celebrating that which God has given. Because you see, the Israelites understood that every victory they had was from the Lord. So God gave the victory. God gave the joy. They are responding with rejoicing over that which God has given. Some of you know, some of you understand that concept from sort of the, the sports world, right? When your team defeats, whether it be on the football field or on the basketball field or on the soccer field or on the volleyball court, whatever it is, when your team comes to a victory over some arch rival, some other school, there is, there, is, there, there is a special sweetness in that. Right At the end of the season, there is always this, this Army-Navy football game that is held. Generally, it is completely meaningless as far as bowl games are concerned, as far as standings are concerned. They're only playing the game for pride. And it doesn't matter if your team is 1 in 10. If you win that last game over your arch rival, there is such rejoicing in those stands in Philadelphia. They pour out. And you go, you're only 2 and 10. What, what's the big deal? You know, go home with some humility, you know. But it's like, no, we beat our arch rival. There is joy. There is exuberance. 
Isaiah is prophesying about a coming day in which the people of God are going to rejoice over the victory of their ultimate enemy. God will provide the victory. God will provide the joy. They are going to respond with rejoicing. Now with that in mind, notice the context in which Isaiah says this will happen. This will happen in the darkest of days. This is not going to happen when everything's wonderful and bright. This is going to happen when those who have walked in darkness. This is going to happen when there is gloom. This is going to happen in a time when there is anguish. In the midst of gloom, in the midst of anguish, in the midst of darkness... A darkness that the King James refers to as those who are living in the shadow of death. It's into that situation that God will bring forth joy. God is going to deliver joy. He's going to give joy in the midst of the darkness. Now let's think about that in two aspects here, in the spiritual aspect of what is taking place. One, Isaiah is referencing a despair, a gloom, a darkness due to sin that is clearly evident in the world. Isaiah is prophesying during not a highlight of Judah's life. You read through the book of Isaiah and there is condemnation after condemnation. The world, the society in which Isaiah is prophesying is pretty dismal. God's people who should know better are living in constant idolatry and idolatry that Isaiah refers to as an adultery. Think think of that darkness. Think, Think of those who are the faithful of the Lord living in the midst of a society in which, not in the midst of paganism, but in the midst of their own society, their own culture, their own world, in which they see their fellow Jews worshiping pagan gods. It's pretty gloomy. It's pretty despairing. You read through the prophets of this time and the way in which people were treating one another. Not only in terms of families of children to their parents, but parents to the children. It was on the economic level of the merchants. It was on the the justice side of injustice, bribes being paid. And it was dismal, and this was, these were happening within the place where they were supposed to be God's people. 
gloom and despair. But on top of that, as you branched out further, now you came to even more evil empires. And they were the most powerful empires in the world. Cruel, ruthless. The Assyrians. The rise of the Babylonians. People who had no acknowledgement of God. So if you're one of the faithful living in Judah, looking around you, it's pretty dark. It's pretty bleak. Society has gone down the tubes. Fast forward. B.C. 0, A.D. 0. Things have not changed much. Now it's the Romans. A lot of your fellow countrymen have sold out to Greek influence and Greek culture, and now they're selling out to the Romans. There isn't much of a resistance to this. In fact, your priests are working in cooperation with the Roman government. They're working hand in glove with one another. The religious leaders are sellouts or at best hypocrites. You don't see much real faithfulness. You see a lot of ritual, but not a lot of faithfulness. You go beyond that, and what do you see? Temples, huge temples. It's all sorts of mythological gods and goddesses. Immoral practices that even today we'd probably be shocked by. Pretty gloomy, pretty despairing, pretty dark. Fast forward. December 23, 2018. You say, you don't need to repeat it, we get it. Right? It's the same thing. Right? On a large scale, the church is a sellout. It sell out, sells out to the commercialism of the day. It sells out to the big business of the day. It sells out to pastors with Rolls Royces, Rolex watches. It sells out to a worship any style. It's okay. God's got to be happy with what I do, not I should be happy with what God desires. You can't find many denominations that stand for the truth of God any longer. The statements that Travis and Carrie agreed to this morning would be laughed out of most churches today. Those are old, those are archaic. We don't need those anymore. It's ridiculous you even try to come to worship. Why don't you do it Saturday night? Better yet, why don't you just watch it on TV? Better yet, why don't you just stick an ear pod in and be happy with it sometime during the week? Churches that sell out to abortion, to homosexuality, to lesbianism. Think a replica of an ark is utter foolishness. (laughs) 
And that's the church. And we branch out further and it's, we're appalled for that which we hear on our news in our own city. Day after day after day after day. Dark, bleak. In the midst of the darkest dark, God brings joy. But folks, it's not just out there. It's here too. Because when we as believers in Christ honestly look in the mirror rather than out the picture window, things aren't all that good in here either, are they? Paul, Romans chapter 7, Oh, the good that I would that I do not and the evil that I do not that I do. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shalt not have an image of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Thou shalt keep the Sabbath day holy. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt not covet. Come on, folks, how many of us haven't seen that lady set down? I still can't figure it out if she's setting down sunglasses or watches on the counter and then he says, I got a present too, and they walk out and there's those two brand new trucks. How many of us haven't gone, oh, yeah. In the mirror, there's darkness here too. And if I turn to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and I hear my Savior, speak that this isn't just those external things. It's that internal thinking and thought. It's that anger. It's that lack of forgiveness. It's that lusting with the eyes. When I hear my Savior speak in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. When I hear his will for my life in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, as a father, as a husband, I look in the mirror. It's pretty dark. But in the midst of the darkness and gloom, even my own soul, God brings joy. See, I can't make that joy. It's too gloomy out there and in here. There's no joy. It's got to come from him. He, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. Why? 
Why can I be glad in the midst of the darkness? Why can I rejoice in the midst of the blackness of this world and of my own heart? Why? Because God has brought joy. And Isaiah gives to us four reasons here why there is joy. Reason number one is because there has been a great light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. God brings joy by bringing forth light. Think of the practicality of this. Just think about it, how this works, right? We spend a long night somewhere. It's dark. It's cold. We can't sleep. Our mind is just working, working, working. Thinking about all sorts of things that are going on in the world and then about things in our own hearts and in our own minds. And finally, finally, there is that crack of dawn. Light comes. And with light comes warmth. With light comes new hope. It's the practicality of it all. Here you are in the middle of the night in the blackness. Imagine yourself in, in, a, in a foxhole in World War II or World War I. Here's the blackness of night. You, you have no clue where that enemy is. How thankful you are for the light. You can now see the enemy. You can now identify the enemy. The amount of fear lessens because of the light. A light that God determined that on the first day, the first thing to do in the blackness of his created world was to bring forth light. Turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 1. Gospel of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The true light. Why can I rejoice in the midst of the darkness of gloom? Because God has brought forth joy. How? He's brought forth light. The true light. Jesus Christ. 
So much so that when we turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, 23 through 25, what we read is this. There is no need of moon or sun in glory because the light of the glory of the sun is all we need. Joy. Because the light has come in to the world. Secondly, because of the broken oppressor, verse 4. See, put 3 and 4 together. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For, see, what, what's the reason for the rejoicing? For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his presser. What have you done? You've broken it. The power of darkness is broken. The bondage, but also the one who keeps us in bondage. Genesis 3.15 is now being fulfilled. Why is there joy? Because God brings joy. How does God bring joy? By breaking the oppressor. By breaking Satan. The devotional we were listening to this week, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. This is the reason Jesus Christ came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. See, that's the joy that God brings. That's the joy God gives. He gives gladness. In the midst of this darkness, here comes joy. The oppressor has been broken. His power, his strength is destroyed by the coming of Jesus Christ. And you and I can rejoice. Reason number three. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. See, this too is all part of the joy and the rejoicing. We can rejoice because God has given us joy. Why? Because God has given us a son, a child that has been born. God's amazing means of bringing joy in the midst of the darkest of gloom is a baby. Who would have thunk it? Who, who would have thought of such a thing? Maybe heaven's parting and the army of God being led by the Lord Jesus Christ coming down out of heaven. Oh, yeah, 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 we can see that one. Maybe the child of Caesar Augustus coming to the Roman throne and just, all right, now I'm the emperor, and this is the way it's going to be. God brings his joy to those who are in darkness 
and a child. For to us, a child, a baby, is given. And God continues to provide that. That joy is still his rich provision to those who are in darkness, to those who are living in what they believe is the shadow of death. The darkness of the sin of this world or the darkness of the sin of our own hearts. God says, here's joy. Here's joy. I'm giving you joy. Where? Wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. There is joy. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. They rejoiced. Joy in the midst of the darkness of their world. And that's what Isaiah 9 is calling us to again. You see, God is destroying all the forces that would destroy his gift of joy. But there is a fourth reason. And that's because the gift of joy is found in the kingdom. God's gift is found in the kingdom of his son. A kingdom of light, the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom, as verse 7 reminds us, that shall never, ever, ever end. That shall continue for all eternity. Here's God's gift. Joy. In the midst of all the darkness of life. Joy. Found in the great light. Found in the breaking of the oppressor. Found in the child. Found in the kingdom. For you see, unless you are a part of that kingdom, unless you acknowledge Jesus Christ, unless you know Jesus Christ, there is no joy. The joy, God's gift, comes to those who bend their knee. To the child. Who come to the child. Who acknowledge the child. Here. Is joy. Here is the king. Here is my king. Here is my sovereign. 
here is my Lord. Have you done so? Have you made that commitment? See, that's what Isaiah 9 is calling us to. It's saying, see, here's joy. You overcome with despair. Stock market fell 4,000 points in the last two months. You filled with despair? Well, unlike a radio personality who says the solution is buy gold. That's not the solution. That'll never solve our despair. When you look in the mirror and you despair over the sin of your heart, the solution isn't try harder. And the solution certainly isn't cover the mirror. The solution is come to a manger and acknowledge that the one who lies in that manger is Christ the Lord your Savior your King and you will rejoice because God will give you the gift joy today if you hear his voice harden not your hearts but come to Christ amen amen father we do thank you what an amazing passage that you gave to this prophet not only for his day but for ours as well so full of truth, so full of grace, so full of hope, so full of assurance. We pray, Father, that our hearts too might rejoice over that which you have done and given to us. The person of your Son, the child, the wonderful Consular, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, mighty God, Emmanuel, Jesus. In His name we pray, God's people say, Amen.